Hi there. Welcome to the Voice of the Forest podcast. This is Temple Archives 2, Bad Boys. And in this podcast, we'll be talking about two different books. We'll be talking about Tarkin, which is a novel. And we'll be talking about Vader, Darth Vader, Volume 1, entitled Vader. And uh, my name is Dan. I'm joined here by my two amazing co-hosts, Noma. Hello, do you do? And Ed. Hello. And uh, on this podcast, like I said, we're going to be reading two of the stories in Star Wars canon today. We're going to be summarizing the story in a synopsis. We're going to be light on the um, minute details of the book, but more of the plot points, covering uh, the major plot points. And we'll discuss it afterwards. Um, And during this, we'll talk about uh, things, where it fits in the timeline, kind of and uh, where we might see similarities later in canon or earlier in the canon of Star Wars. Without further ado, guys, are you ready to get into Tarkin? Oh, yeah. So what did you guys think of Tarkin? Before we get into the book, yes or no? Is it a canon must-read, or is it a put-it-to-the-side, you don't really need to read it because it's not that important? Put-it-to-the-side shouldn't even be an option, (laughs) all right? (laughs) You have to read this book. Oh, yeah. If you like Tarkin, if you like the Empire, if you want to see them in a way that is justifiably evil, at least from their point of view, from a certain point of view, See what I did there? Hey. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then, then I'd say you definitely need to to read Tarkin. Funny thing is, I I really enjoyed this book when it first came out, and uh, I I didn't really enjoy Tarkin as a character. I didn't like. It's not that I didn't like him. I just never was pulled towards him in the movies or anything like that. But this book made me appreciate Tarkin on another level. Well, see, we didn't really know much about him other than he's that guy who blew up Alderaan. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Basically, right? Like, we knew he looked like a skeleton. He looked like he was half dead. But, like, he was scary in that way, but that was it mm-hmm. kind of thing. And now with this book, he was just like, okay, yeah, this makes a lot of sense now. Mm-hmm. Throughout the book, uh, I'll talk about it uh, when we get to the discussion. There's one thing where I was like, Story-wise, I'm not a big fan of what they chose to do with this, but because of what happens in the movies, I, I think it makes sense. Okay. I'll be interested to hear what uh, what you think of that then. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Noma, with that said, do you want to get into the synopsis of Tarkin? Yeah, let's get started. Like Dan said, this novel is called Tarkin. It is written by James Lucino, and the cover artist is Douglas Wheatley. Uh, Before we get started, I just want to throw out a a quick disclaimer, same as I did uh, last episode. So basically, this synopsis is going to be just for people who aren't interested at all in reading uh, Tarkin, just so that when we discussion, you guys won't be left out. You guys will, you know, be caught up with with the plot of of the book. If you guys are interested in Tarkin, uh, you know, like we all said in the beginning, I would definitely recommend reading it. Um you know, it's the only supporting the book is the only way that we're going to get more, you know, more novels and TV shows and all that kind of stuff is showing that we like this stuff. And uh, one thing with the synopsis that uh, I noticed while looking through it is that this synopsis that we're reading 
omits a lot of character interaction and how certain characters feel about each other and a lot of uh, development for uh, Tarkin and some other characters that isn't super plot important but really kind of drives home why a lot of people, us included, like this book. Uh, so yeah, basically, if you like it, support it. If you're not interested at all, then that's what the synopsis is for. And with that said, let's get started. So the first part of the book, Defending Sentinel Base. During the early years of the Galactic Empire, former Admiral and Adjutant General Wilhelm Tarkin, Tarkin, sorry, is assigned to the desolate Sentinel Moon in the Outer Rim's remote Arcanist sector. Sentinel Moon is home to Sentinel Base, a major Imperial facility. While Tarkin's assignment appears to be a punishment post, he is secretly engaged in a clandestine Imperial enterprise. The novel opens with Tarkin discussing his newly designed Imperial military uniform with an RA-7 protocol droid. While reflecting on a childhood outing with his uncle, Jova Tarkin, in Iriadu's Carrion Plateau, Tarkin is informed of a priority dispatch from nearby Rampart Station. At Sentinel Base's command center, Base Commander Castle informs him that Rampart Station is under attack from enemy TKR and Z-95 Headhunter Starfighters. After corresponding with the base's commander, Lieutenant Thawne, though Tarkin suspects something is amiss during his conversation, Tarkin deploys the Venator Star Destroyer, Electrum, to the rimward edge of the Sentinel base system. Shortly thereafter, a former crewed Separatist carrier emerges from hyperspace and attacks Sentinel base with, tr with droid starfighters. Springing his trap, Tarkin has the Electrum exit hyperspace and ambush the mysterious attackers, who are using Separatist technology. Outgunned and ambushed, the attackers are forced to retreat. Tarkin reveals to his subordinates that the Rampart Station hollow transmission was a counterfeit designed to draw Imperial forces away from Sentinel Base. He determines that someone has managed to introduce a false real-time feed into the local holonet relay. Under Tarkin's supervision, Forensic technicians examine the former Separatist droid starfighters. The technicians speculate that the mysterious attackers obtained former Separatist ship and equipment from junk dealers and criminal elements. While pondering on the identity of the mysterious attackers, Tarkin receives a communique from Grand Vizier Masameda, who informs him that Emperor Palpatine has requested a private audience with him in Coruscant. <laughs> Part 2. The Making of Tarkin In a flashback chapter, Tarkin reflects on his childhood growing up on the Outer Rim world of Iriadu. Tarkin's family were the descendants of hunters, freelance pilots, and mining contractors who had built up Iriadu's militias into a formidable sector military. Despite accumulating wealth and power, Tarkin's parents never forgot their frugal origins and instilled the values of discipline and order in their son. In his adolescence, Tarkin had joined his uncle Jova on several hunting expeditions in the dangerous Carrion Plateau, a relic of Iriadu's primeval past. Through Jova, Tarkin learned the importance of triumphing over nature and bringing order to chaos. While traveling to Coruscant aboard his personal transport, the Carrion Spike, Tarkin relieves Ensign Baz of duty for spice addiction. The Carrion Spike is a custom-built Corvette fitted with a Class 1 hyperdrive and stealth technology, 
rendering the ship invisible to ordinary scanners. Its prototype was first seen and used during the Clone Wars. In a flashback passage, Tarkin reflects on his service as a member of the Outland Region Security Force, which fought pirates and privateers in the Saswana sector. One of his foes was the female pirate Kuana and her marauders, who harassed commercial shipping around Iriadu. Tiring of Kuana's depredations, the then 18-year-old Lieutenant Tarkin and his cousin, Ranulf Tarkin, had devised an ambitious plan to allow the marauders to steal container ships whose hyperdrive motivators had been infected by a computer virus. This trap worked, and the infected container ships transported the pirates to a real space destination where they were all surrounded by outland warships. To end the threat of the marauders once and for all, Kuana and her ship were dumped on a container ship that had, pro that had been programmed to send itself slowly into the system's sun. The captives' plights were broadcast over the pirates' own communication networks, luring their would-be rescuers who were destroyed by outland ships. As a deterrent to other pirates, Tarkin relayed the container ship's audio and visual feeds of the pirates' death throes. Continue with the operation. You may fire when ready. Part 3. Visiting Coruscant. Arriving at the Imperial Palace, Tarkin is greeted by Grand Vizier Ameda and Rear Admiral Nils Tennant, one of his classmates at the Press Belt Fleet Camp. Nils asks about rumors of a mobile battle station, but is silenced by Tarkin. In a flashback, the young cadet Tarkin meets the then-Senator Palpatine, who saw potential in the young Iriaduan and helped him secure a place at the elite Judicial Academy. As a member of the Judicial Forces, Tarkin had taken part in a joint Judicial Jedi mission to subdue a coup on the colony's world of Halcyon. While Tarkin was awed by the Jedi's lightsaber skills, he was less impressed by their political and strategic naivety. During the Halcyon Crisis, Tarkin developed a reputation as an effective leader. He later used his early contacts with Palpatine to forge connections with the Supreme Chancellor during the Clone Wars. Ameda brings Tarkin for a private audience with Darth Vader in the lower levels of the former Jedi Temple. Tarkin and Ameda witness Lord Vader addressing a meeting of smugglers, criminals, and crime lords, whom he orders to relocate their operations to the Outer Rim. As a warning, Lord Vader force chokes the Twi'lek Prefect, Foka Suit, killing him as he himself was corrupt. After informing Vader about the progress of the work at Sentinel, Tarkin meets with the Emperor. The two discuss the matter of reintegrating former Separatist worlds into the, into the galactic community, the Death Star Project, and the attempted security breach at Sentinel Base. Tarkin then attends a meeting of the ruling council with other high-ranking Imperial officials, including the Emperor, Lord Vader, and Grand Vizier Ameda. The Imperial Security Bureau's Deputy Director, Harris Eisen, informs the gathering that his agents had uncovered a cache of communications devices on Mercana, which suggests evidence of a potential stratagem to inca incapacitate the holonet. ISB Colonel Wolf Yularen suggests that political dissenters are planning to launch a propaganda operation similar to the wartime shadow feeds. When Sate Pestage raises the matter of Tarkin's encounter with the insurgents at Sentinel Base, Dodd Rancet of the Naval Intelligence Agency vouches for Tarkin's role in frustrating separatist propaganda efforts during the Clone Wars. Tarkin recommends that the Joint Chiefs issue an advisory to the Imperial base commanders to double-check the encryption codes for all Imperial holonet transmissions.
What's unfortunate about the security breach on Jeddah, Director Krennic? After so many setbacks and delays, and now this. Part 4. Mission to Mercana. Following the briefing, Darth Sidious instructs Lord Vader to accompany Moff Tarkin to Mercana to investigate the communications cache in order to sidestep the Imperial bureaucracy. After being briefed about the Mercana mission, Tarkin makes arrangements to delay his return to Sentinel Base. He sends back most of his crew, apart from the Carrion Spikes captain and communications officer. In a flashback scene, Tarkin reflects on leaving the Judicial Department and working with Senator Palpatine to engineer Finnis Valorum's downfall. The following day, Tarkin and Darth Vader depart aboard the Carrion Spike. Vader's stormtroopers transport a flattened black sphere aboard the Corvette. One of the troopers is the aging Sergeant Crest, a veteran clone survivor of the Clone Wars. While observing the loading, Tarkin reflects on the fall of the Jedi and Count Dooku's attempt to persuade Tarkin to bring Iriadu into the Separatists with the promise of lucrative business opportunities. Tarkin had declined Dooku's offer. After being informed by the protocol droid 114D about the Carrion Spike's departure, Sidious reflects on his efforts to bring Tarkin and Vader together during the Clone Wars. On the ruined world of Mercana, Tarkin and Vader visit the site of the communications cache. They discover evidence that the devices were deliberately placed so that they could be discovered. Tarkin speculates that whoever found the cache used some of the components to engineer the false distress call transmitted to Sentinel Base. Vader demands to speak with the ISB asset who first reported the find. Traveling to the Imperial compound, Lord Vader and Tarkin question the ISB asset, a Kuravar male named Brachia. Brachia informs them that he did not discover the cache, but was merely tasked with verifying his ISB case officer's report. Governor Tarkin is then contacted by Sergeant Crest, who has received a hollow transmission order purporting to be from Tarkin to return to the, the former Corporate Alliance building after unloading the cargo from the Carrion Spike. Tarkin does not recall making any orders and tells the sergeant to return to the ship. Crest then contacts Tarkin and Vader to inform them that the Carrion Spike has been stolen, with the captain, comms officer, and two Stormtrooper sentries killed. Lacking a starship of their own, Darth Vader forces an old ally, a Sugi crime lord, Faza, to lend them his personal starship, the Parsec Predator. So you see, this criminal cannot be what he claims to be, and I shall prove it. Part 5. Hunt for the Carrion Spike. Aboard the hijacked Carrion Spike, the shipjacker's former Republic intelligence agent, Birch Teller, the Mon Calamari, Dr. Artaz, the Gotal, Salik, and the Kuravar, Kala, the former journalist, Anora Fair, and the Zygarian, Hask Taff, make themselves comfortable aboard the stolen vessel. They discover they are being followed by the Parsec Predator through hyperspace. Teller decides to lead the Imperial pursuers on a chase. Meanwhile, Tarkin sits in the cockpit of the Parsec Predator with Vader. He reflects on Vader's killing of the Sugi crime lord and his henchmen. Tarkin suspects that the perpetrators who attacked Sentinel Base were the same ones who stole the Carrion Spike and disabled her slave and communication systems. Tarkin thinks that the Mercana communications cache is part of a larger unfolding plot. He reveals that the Carrion Spike's weakness is the spine where the main fuselage, fuselage meets the aft flare. Only concentrated fire while lowering the shields would weaken the structure. 
Despite the carrion spike fleeing into hyperspace, Vader reveals that he can track the ship using the mysterious black sphere he had transferred to the carrion spike. On Coruscant, Darth Sidious learns about the theft of the carrion spike and that Lord Vader has procured a replacement ship. With Lord Vader heading to the Fial system, Rancid suggests that the carrion spike's thieves are the same assailants who attacked Sentinel Base. Darth Sidious orders Admiral Rancid to divert ships to the Belderon system to aid Lord Vader and Governor Tarkin. Imperial efforts to recover the carrion spike are punctuated by interagency rivalry between the Imperial Security Bureau and military intelligence. In the Fial sector, the carrion spike is pursued by the Parsec Predator. Teller orders Salak to prepare for a jump to the Galadran system, where the Empire has a space station above Galadran 3. Vader and Tarkin follow in pursuit and emerge in the middle of a dogfight between the hijacked carrion spike and Imperial V-Wing and aggressive reconnaissance 170 fighters. The carrion spike disables the Predator's systems, leaving the ship dead in space. However, the Predator managed to, manages to inflict damage on the, spire, the spike's weak point. Before fleeing into hyperspace, Teller's rebel cell destroys Galadran's hyperspace buoy to prevent their pursuers from following them. Tarkin laments that the shipjackers have not only rendered themselves invisible, but also untraceable. Back on Coruscant, the ruling council is briefed about the hijacked Carrion Spike's recent theft. Heeding Tarkin's warnings, Rancid advocates preparing Imperial bases in the Outer Rim for a campaign of destruction. The council learns that the ship's jackers have also attacked Tag Co's mining operations on Lukazek, and that they are using the Carrion Spike to transmit holovids of their attacks. Aboard the Star Destroyer Liberator, Vader receives his personal ETA-2 Actis-class light interceptor from the Empire. Studying the shipjacker's travel plans, Tarkin suspects they were working with the warship that attacked Sentinel Base. Vader suggests that the shipjackers are being aided by the same insiders who provided them with the confiscated communications cache. Due to the Carrion Spike's unique fuel requirements, Tarkin speculates that the ship would either travel to Gromos in the Perkel sector or Findar in the Mandalore sector. Since you are reluctant to provide us with the location of the rebel base, I have chosen to test this station's destructive power on your home planet of Alderaan. Part 6. The Findar Debacle while Birch Teller and his rebels discuss their next strategy, Tarkin arrives at the edge of the Findar system aboard the Venator-class Star Destroyer Liberator. Tarkin warns the Findian administrator about the dangerous capabilities of the Carrion Spike. The Findian transmits a photo of the shipjacker's self-styled commander who is impersonating Commander Abel LaSalle. Tarkin and Vader deduce that their enemy is well acquainted with Imperial procedure. Vader and Tarkin lead starfighters in pursuit of the Carrion Spike, which has docked with a tanker. Following a brief dogfight that results in several Imperial casualties, including the tanker, the Carrion Spike escapes into hyperspace. Despite their injuries, a bruised Teller and his comrades vow to continue their insurgency against the Empire. Teller recounts Governor Tarkin's ruthless efforts to purge the Saswana sector of pirates, criminal elements, and illegal migrants during the last days of the, of the Galactic Republic. 
Teller credits Tarkin's rise to power to the machinations of Palpatine. Teller vows to turn Tarkin's own flagship into a weapon against the Imperial Technocrat. Back in Findar space, Tarkin learns that the tanker was destroyed by an explosive device concealed inside a fuel cell and realizes that the insurgents had wanted to lure him into a trap. Due to a tracking device installed on the carrion spike, the Imperials are able to track the ship to a set of coordinates in the expansion region near Thusta and Aquarius. On Coruscant, Vice Admiral Rancid convinces the Emperor to deploy interdictor vessels against the hijacked carrion spike. Ameta informs the Emperor that the cache of communication jammers was discovered on Mercana by an ISB asset tasked with investigating the find by his case officer. Darth Sidious summons the ISB asset and his handler for a meeting. Meanwhile, Teller and his comrades discover that Tarkin has been tracking them through a paralyte tracker, a kind of hollow net transceiver that parses commands from the ship's navicomputer. To trick the Imperials, Teller decides to supply Tarkin with the coordinates to a very busy star system, but to avoid jumping. In the Abora Sky system, Tarkin's interdictor cruisers receive the full coordinates. Instead of the carrion spike, they yank several civilian freighters and a Mon Calamari luxury liner out of hyperspace. It's a trap! <laughs> it is. Very oh my much god, you're so lucky. I had myself <laughs> muted for that. I, I screamed at you. <laughs> oh, you! I wasn't ready for that at all. You got me. 100% got me. I was just, what, did you, what did you think oh, I was going to say? I didn't think I was going to oh, say yeah. anything. Okay. I, I wasn't ready. I was just like, oh yeah, okay, they all died. I don't know. We'll try and keep that. I'll see if I can edit this in together here. This results in a space collision, with multiple casualties, including the deaths of 1,100 civilians aboard the luxury liner. Lord Vader and Tarkin deduce that the insurgents fed them false coordinates to throw them off the scent. Despite this failure, the Imperials destroy the Lux 400 yacht Truant, which was on the wanted list for smuggling. Vader and Tarkin aggressively question the Kurovar captain of the surviving freighter Reticent, and learn that a human broker named Knotts sold them the ship and the job. While Vader questions the Kuravar, Tarkin continues to search for the carrion spike. Now inform the populace, the rebel assassins hide in their midst. Lock down the spaceport and make it known any ship attempting to leave will be destroyed right away. Part 7. An Enemy Within the Ranks. Meanwhile, Teller briefs Honora about his plan to attack an Imperial facility. Kala has destroyed the Imperial homing beacon to throw them off scent. At the Imperial Palace, Darth Sidious interrogates the Kurovar Imperial Intelligence asset Brachia and the ISB case officer Stellan. Under questioning, Stellan reveals that the information about the Mercana communications cache was provided to the ISB by military intelligence. Sidious also deduces that the holovid was a counterfeit created by someone with access to Imperial codes and to devices capable of subverting the holonet. Aboard the Star Destroyer Executrix, Moff Tarkin deduces that the shipjackers are being aided by Imperial assets with high clearance. Vader also interrogates the other reticent crew and learns that the fuel cells had been procured through the auspices of the human broker Knots. Delving into classified Imperial files, 
Tarkin discovers that Knotts had been a Republic intelligence subcontractor stationed on Antar IV during the Clone Wars. Following the establishment of the Empire, Tarkin had presided over the Antar atrocity, which had seen the arrests, executions, and massacres of many Kurovar and Gotal loyalists. Tarkin's actions had generated much criticism in the Imperial media, including two Coruscanti jur journalists, Anora Fair and Hask Taff. He also determines that Knotts was connected to Captain Birch Teller, a dissident Republican Republic intelligence officer who opposed the Antar atrocity. Tarkin also learns that Teller was briefly stationed at Desolation Station, the outpost responsible for overseeing much of the Death Star's research before disappearing. Meanwhile, the heavily damaged Carrion Spike exits hyperspace 10 parsecs away from Nuane. Teller's cell had barely escaped an Imperial trap in the Nuane system. Enora realizes that they have been betrayed. Still, Teller is determined to proceed with their plan. Vader and Tarkin discuss Vice Admiral Rancid's intelligence that the dissidents are planning to attack the Imperial Academy on Carida as a final stand. Tarkin tells Vader about how he defeated a pack of Veermocks in his youth by pitting the alpha male, Lord, against a contender named Shadow before killing him. As a result, the Veermocks abandoned the hill and the spike. Vader opines that the lesson was that the Veermocks brought themselves down by turning on their leader. The two then ascertain that Vice Admiral Rancid is the traitor who has been aiding Teller's rebel cell. Above the Carida Imperial Navy Deep Dock Facility 2, the Carrion Spike exits hyperspace. Before Vice Admiral Rancid can give the order to fire, Darth Vader enters the bridge and belays that command. Vader orders the crew of the Secular-class Star Destroyer Conquest to scan the ship for lifeforms. After finding the ship empty, Vader tells Rancid that his co-conspirators abandoned the ship before fleeing into hyperspace. After ordering the commanders of the Task Force Flotilla to stand down, Vader confronts Rancid for his treason. To cover his tracks, Rancid had planned to lure Teller's cell into a trap on Carida and kill them. However, Teller's cell had realized Rancid's plan and transferred to another ship to continue their insurgency. As punishment for his treason, Lord Vader orders Lieutenant Crest to dump Vice Admiral Rancid in an escape pod. Once in space, Rancid is forced to issue the fire order that destroys the pod. Part 8. Neutralizing the Insurgents Meanwhile, Birch, Teller, and his cell are traveling aboard a Separatist Providence-class dreadnought over a barren moon in the star system coreward of the Gulf of Tatooine. While Teller recognizes that his group will not be able to bring down the Empire on its own, he decides to ambush a convoy delivering materials to the secret Death Star project. He tasks Anora and Hask with making a holovid. Teller's plan was to use the Carrion Spike to divert Imperial forces away from the Death Star convoy. Moff Tarkin comes to the convoy's aid with the Star Destroyer Executrix. While the Executrix bombards the enemy capital ships, Tarkin orders his starfighters to protect the convoy at all costs. With the tables turned on the dissidents, Salak and Anora buy enough time for Teller to escape on a headhunter starfighter. 
Tarkin's tactic works, and the Imperials succeed in knocking out the Master Control computer, controlling the dissident's droid starfighters. The Executrix is reinforced by two more Star Destroyers, Compliant and Enforcer. While Darth Sidious meditates on his quest for galactic dominance, Tarkin greets his captives, including Knots, Anora Fair, and Hasktaff. Charming to the last. You don't know how hard I found it signing the order to terminate your life. Part 9. The Empire Triumphant. Tarkin spends the next three weeks after the convoy attack interrogating the captured conspirators and collaborators, who were subsequently executed in secret. In a meeting with Vader and the Emperor, Tarkin explains that Rancid was motivated by the perceived slight that he had been stripped of his command of Sentinel Base for objecting to the Empire's actions on Antar IV. Tarkin credits Rancid with supplying intelligence and materials to the dissidents. Vader also informs them that the Empire has punished the warehouse workers, salvagers, and scientists at Desolation Station who aided the dissidents. The dissidents' former separatist warship was also assembled at shipyards in the Bajic sector, jointly owned and operated by the Ten Loss Syndicate and the Crimora Syndicate. Despite finding Teller's headhunter on Christophus, they were unable to find any trace of the man. In the wake of Rancid's treason, the Emperor ordered a reshuffle of his ruling council and the incorporation of naval intelligence into military intelligence. The Emperor also tasks Tarkin with tightening the Empire's hold over the Outer Rim and promotes him to the rank of Grand Moff. Grand Moff Tarkin is placed in charge of the entire Outer Rim and the Death Star Project. In the wake of his promotion, Tarkin gives lengthy interviews to the media, which coin his statements as the Tarkin Doctrine. Tarkin also takes steps to clamp down on dissidents and preserve the secrecy of the Death Star Project. Weeks later, Tarkin returns to the Spike on Iriadu, where he reunites with his uncle Jova. Intent on revenge, Birch Teller tracks Tarkin down, but falls into an improvised pit trap. Tarkin confronts his nemesis, who is nursing a broken ankle. Tarkin refuses to divulge details about the Death Star project, but offers to let Teller go if he can climb out of the pit before nightfall. Teller rejects Tarkin's offer, and the younger Tarkin leaves his uncle to watch over Teller should he cause trouble. Later, above the secluded world of Geonosis, Tarkin watches over the construction of the Death Star. Alright, so that is the end of the Tarkin synopsis. So, guys, what did you think about the novel Tarkin? Start you, Danny. Oh, okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought it was a really good book uh, when I first uh, listened through it in 2015, I believe, is when it came out. Yeah, I really liked this book. Uh, the Tarkin novel itself was really cool and interesting to see the, the internal mind of Tarkin and his tactics and strategies that he's used and the way he kind of thinks about situations and other people that he's chasing or dissidents and stuff like that. Um, I really did enjoy it. It was like a biopic, basically, of Tarkin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, you do get a very full kind of view of how he was raised and his morals and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one thing that we should probably point out, if the synopsis is your first time ever hearing this book, um, the synopsis cuts out a lot of his backstory because it's 
not super relevant to just understand the plot of the book. Um, but they do go into quite a lot about his upbringing and how his parents act and uh, especially his uncle Jova. He has a lot of time with him and kind of the interesting do or die scenarios that they go through, even though they're they're in their world, at least wealthy, you know, wealthy people. Yeah, they still go back a lot to the kind of primal elements of the planet. Yeah, because the planet itself was uh, like all the people that were on it were pretty much savages until technology hit it. And then they started becoming a little bit more um, civilized. It's kind of like the way the planet kind of went through its its history. And mm-hmm. the Tarkins were always kind of those people that were kind of on, on top of the food chain kind of thing. And it, mm-hmm. and it said like they had over hundreds of acres of like land, which is where the Carrion Spike uh, sat on top of the plateau. Mm. Um, and it just kind of goes into like Tarkin getting picked up by Uncle Jova, going out with the party that he has to kind of introduce him to the wilderness. Um, mm. And they make him eat a, is it a liver or like a heart or something of an animal? They had to, it they was, kill. It was, I think it was yeah, a liver. It's, a, it's, it's the liver, yeah. It was disgusting. When I hit my lesson down the audiobook, it was well done, but it was disgusting. Mm. Um, and then he goes through all these little trials and things. He gets um attacked by like different animals he gets a huge fever in the in the forest um and mm-hmm. at the end of it you do have him talking about him um surveillancing uh the what are they called the the animals that he's tracking oh um in the later the part Vermox? of his backstory the Veermox. yeah he's tracking the Veermox and he sees that shadow which is like the the beta male i guess and the alpha male mm-hmm. which is Lord. Lord is what he nicknames them, mm. um, and Shadow notices Tarkin, but he doesn't really attack because he doesn't think he's a threat. But he notices mm. that he kind of wants to, like Shadow wants to kind of take over, so he, he takes the opportunity on the Carrion Spike. Uh, Tarkin does to basically m- create an opportunity for Shadow to kill Lord mm. and become the Alpha Male. But when that happens, like the Veermox just kind of like. What the hell just happened? What what did we do this for? And they yeah, just well, kind of just leave, right? Like it's well, kind of shocking yeah, to them. Specifically because yeah, like Lord Lord, um, there's an interesting th- point where like Lord and all of his own, um, sorry, sorry, not Lord, sorry, um, Shadow and his own kind of group or I guess posse of, of apes all turn on Lord at the same time, mm-hmm. and it almost seems like they've broken an unspoken rule because I mean you know Animal Kingdom usually it's one on one. Exactly. Um, and then, yeah, like as soon as they kill Lord and Shadow is the new Alpha, um, Tarkin just immediately like th- like throws his weapon and kills Shadow. And then they're, That's they're what like, happens, oh, God, uh, what's happening? Yeah, like, then, oh, oh, my God, what are we supposed to do? Like, who's our Alpha male now? Like, this mm-hmm. this other creature? You know? Yeah, the not us. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed the backstory of Tarkin because it gave you an idea of, like, what he had to go through to become the person he is now, the calculating kind of individual he is. Mm-hmm. I I did get a feeling that he's kind of like a human Thrawn. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Like Thrawn's very similar. a more violent one. Maybe. <laughs> but like, you, he they both have like combat history. They're both calculating individuals. They're both very good leaders. Mm-hmm. And like, it just there's a lot of parallels between Tarkin and Thrawn. We will get it's... into Thrawn later on when we when we read through th- the Thrawn novel. And uh, if we ever do talk about Rebels on the show, 
but I, I do enjoy the fact that there are very similar characters in that regard. Mm-hmm. Except for the fact that the Death Star was opposed completely by Thrawn and Tarkin yes. was like, shut up. I have the, <laughs> I, I'm the Emperor's favorite, so me, we get the star. You keep your little tide fender. Mm-hmm. I, I I can see what, you're, what you mean, Dan. Like, I think, yeah, like, they're both basically, like, alpha, non-force, like, what would you... I, I'd call them, like, high-class force multipliers that don't actually, you know, that aren't force-sensitive. Right, uh, exactly. I think the, yeah, the big difference you get to is that, like, Tarkin is really really good at understanding um how people like how to impose order on chaos he's really good at stamping down mercilessly and forcing order to happen exactly um but but he doesn't care about the people he because he he constantly compares them to wild beasts like okay what would this rabble is acting like this horde of wild beasts how would i control these wild beasts um, he doesn't think of them as like individuals. He thinks of them as like a, just a group of animals, like you said. Yeah. 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 Just mindless monsters, and as opposed to Thrawn, who is that much more calculating because he wants to understand a culture fully so that he can weaponize it against his enemies. Um, which is which, badass. Yeah, because that that's a very it's a very um, mystical concept, right? It's kind of like Sun Tzu or. Uh, kind of like an Alexander the Great, the Conqueror, where it's like I need to understand. It's literally the art in, of war. Exactly. In order, uh, in order to crush them, I need to understand them. Right. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I really liked about this book was the Carrion Spike itself, because that's something you see in the Clone Wars, I believe, is it not? The TV show. Um, the the prototype for it. Yeah. yeah. And so the Carrion Spike itself, the name came from obviously Tarkin's childhood with the spike on his family's land that all this stuff went down with Lord and Shadow and all that kind of thing. And the origin mm-hmm. of the ship itself being the prototype in the Clone Wars, I thought that was a really cool tie-in with it in that they, it was stolen by, by rebel dissidents. Um, I just thought it was a really interesting ship itself. Right, it's a, It, it kind of reminds me, the design of it looks similar to like a separatist long like cruiser, you know, like those battle cruisers, mm-hmm. like the Malevolence. Um, yeah, yeah. not as big but I mean like similar shape um, and the fact that there is a there was a part of the carrion spike that was not um, ironed out the spine of it if you shot mm. there enough then it would explode finally um, and the fact that Iriadu uh, the planet that Tarkin is from is a neighboring planet to Sullust and in the same system as Naboo or very similar, oh, so like okay. very close to Naboo. And that's what um, Palpatine brings up when he's talking to Will of Tarkin when he's in the Flight Academy, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's around like 18 years old. He comes and finds uh, Tarkin specifically as when he's a senator in the Republic and talks to him and he says, like, the we're two people that are rising in in the political and military ranks and we kind of have to stick our necks out for each other, right? We have to have each other's backs because even though we come from planets in the outer rim that are really close together, we are kind of like the higher echelon of those outer rim planets. Mm -hmm. Right. I thought that was a really interesting connection because I never really thought of Naboo in as a outer rim planet, but it is. Yeah, that's true. And then it does make a little bit more sense why no one really cares about Naboo in episode one. Right. 
Yeah, as opposed to it, it, this book very much gives you the or shows you the the opinion that like the the core worlds are all that matters. I guess they'd be the equivalent of like, um, they'd be the equivalent of like first world countries, and then the outer rim is is third seems world. at least yeah. In, yeah to be third world from this book. Exactly. Um, also, something something to point out if anyone's interested in seeing the stealth ship from Clone Wars, uh, the, the original prototype that Tarkin ship is based off of, um, it is the 16th episode of season two of the clone wars good episode uh it's yeah called cat and mouse and that is the first time the stealth stealth ship shows up ed what did you think man overall love the book absolutely loved it the i read it first so that one i had kind of my own um interpretation of the voice but when i listened to it it was like yeah you know what this is perfect Mm. Now, something like my own disclaimer here, like I will be Empire forever at this point. Mm. Like, yes, 100%. But some of the names they come up with things for our four things, I should say. Mm-hmm. You just kind of shake your head and it's like, were you intentionally trying to be cheesy or is it just, do you <laughs> really, are you trying not to sound, or do you sound evil? I, you should you know this it you can hear it it sounds bad desolation station yeah what <laughs> come on man like, i mean <laughs> let's look at the names of the uh star destroyers the executrix exactly. you know all that kind That's of stuff I mean. they're all like oh no it's latin no it's evil <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have to be evil to like create order it's like hey okay we're flying today on the justice Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, mm, mm, not bad. Uh, and hell, call it Her Majesty. We're just following. We're just. We're on not trying the to hide HMS. the fact that they're like trying to just. But it's over... not. Here's the Dominator. Yeah. Okay. It's like guys, come on. Like the Carrion Spike is a very like appropriate name for what it is. But Desolation Station. Hey, do you want to go to the far end of nowhere and just suffer? No. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, no. That because Desolation Station. Yeah. How about That's the Death Star? Go. I mean, that's just come on. If you want it on the nose, I mean that that's that's kind of a thing you run into in like everything, though, because it's the same thing with the Clone War, or not everything, but any any time that you're very clearly making one side out to be the bad guys. Um, like the the first thing that always co- that came to mind as soon as you said that was in the Clone Wars. Um, it's like we're the separatist alliance. All we want is we don't we, you know we want a system that, that where the core worlds don't prosper. Uh, we want equality for everyone and rules that follow everybody. What's your main battleship called? Oh, we called it the Malevolence. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we don't mean shit that we just yeah. said. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> it's like no, no, no. We're all peace, man. We're all peace. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be like, I, I, I sense something's up. How about the other, uh, other than the naming schemes, what else did you either enjoy or not about uh, Tarkin? So, overall, his his character that we see develop from a child up to the man he was, like when he went back for Teller and lured him back to the planet, and just to, to fall on that spike trip, it was like, oh man, how much he must remember from all those days. How fun it must have been for him at that to- at that point. Just to just to toy with his opponent because he knew he knows he's won, right? He just needs to finish it. But he's like, no, 
you caused you stole my ship. You caused me a lot of effort. Why shouldn't I enjoy this kind of thing? I'll show you what like dominance really is, right? And so from Teller falling into the pit, breaking his ankle, and then just Tarkin standing over him. And I can picture him, like if this was ever like film adapt- adapted or anything like that, right? He just he's doing that imperial pose with his hands behind his back. Yep. Yep. And his, his nose is pointed into the air and he's like has this slight grin, just like talking yeah. down to Teller while he's in there. And yeah, it's like oh, looking down on him. Right? Just completely it's like you are scum and you know it. And I'm gonna tell you ten times over. The awesome part about that whole scene is that he's not looking for Teller, he finds Teller. So he goes to his home planet of Iriadu and he's mm-hmm. walking through um the, the, Carrion. the Carrion area, like Carrion Spike area and like the, the farmland that his family has. Mm. And Teller is following him, um, I believe. And Teller would have attacked Tarkin, but he needed like, he wanted to like stare him in the eyes, right? So Teller was, mm. I don't know if he followed him to Iriadu or he was waiting for him on Iriadu. But then behind Teller was Uncle Jova. And it goes into the scene where it's like, if you would have even tried to take out Tarkin, uh, like Will of Tarkin, and died. then, yeah, Jova would have killed him before then. Just shows you how, like, crazy Jova is. Because he's, like, at this point, Tarkin's pretty old. So Jova's, mm-hmm. like, really, really old, but he's still got his, his wits about him, you know? Um, oh, yeah. There's some really good scenes there. I really enjoyed the kind of, like... Um, the ir- is it irony the right word for it, but like the way that whole scene played out with Teller, Tarkin, and Jova, it was really nice. It was a really good mm-hmm. end to the novel, I thought. It's it's a strangely sweet scene. Yeah. About while while you you're deciding a man's fate. <laughs> exactly. exactly right. <laughs> uh, so for myself, there were uh, I mean, you guys have covered uh, a pretty good amount of stuff. The the two things that caught my attention where the first one was um one of the planets that they briefly mentioned in tarkin uh which is renvar um so i i just thought it was kind of neat because renvar is a planet that i first saw in i don't know how well known this game is but it was the uh the star wars the clone wars video game okay on it was on, I think it was on all the consoles of its generation, but I played it on the Nintendo GameCube. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember the lat gunship was on the front of it. Yeah, yes. I know what yeah, you're talking yeah. about. And it's got Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan. They look like they're like they're Clone Wars kind of style, right? I don't think I ever played that game, but I know what game you're talking about. Yeah. It, was, it was a very interesting game because it was a Clone Wars game with Anakin and Obi-Wan, and you never played as um you never really played as them on foot wait what yeah you could sometimes um but it was major the majority of the time it was a vehicle combat game um so you started the first game and you were in uh one of the uh you know the the hover tanks they have in battlefront for the clones yeah you're that's actually the first they showed up in this game before they showed up in battlefront oh wow Uh, yeah, so you pilot one of those guys first, and then you get some walkers later on. And I'll always remember Renvar because that was the first mission where you were flying the LAAT gunship in, and you actually did the whole mission in a lat gunship, which was kind of neat. And Renvar was this; it, it was basically just hot to electric boogaloo. Um, it was just this big ice. Yeah, it was just this big ice ball. 
Um, and I, I think it, it actually first came up in a comic a few years before that. Um, but I just thought it was neat, like just, you know, canonizing some some more of the old stuff uh, from Expanded Universe. Um, and then the only other thing that, that really jumped out at me was I only didn't really like this because it, it seemed evil for the sake of it being evil. Um, <clears throat> but when they talk about uh, how Tarkin did the whole like destruction and killing everybody on Antar 4, he basically goes there to to crush Separatist um just crush separatist forces and show them like it doesn't matter where you run or what you do you're going to to pay in blood for what uh what side you took during the clone wars so he goes to antar 4 and he just like decimates the population and like crushes them under the heel of his boot and it's terrible but the thing that always annoyed me with that is that they then go on in great detail to explain how um antar 4 was a republic world before it fell to the separatists and there was a loyal resistance movement on Antar 4 for the entirety of the Clone Wars. And to me, it seems strange because it's like, so you have this world that was taken and had a loyal resistance the entire time, and you schedule this planet for full destruction, like full, um, full fury of the Empire's wrath, instead of a full separatist world, like a world that had wholeheartedly joined the separatists and there weren't any loyalists at all. Right. Like, um, moon or something. Right. Cause the moon banking clans like wholeheartedly support the separatists. Right. Why not go to a full separatist world and just decimate them? Right. Why would you go to a world that you, that used to be yours and you know, has loyalists on it. That, that seemed kind of strange to me. Antar um, four was the planet of the Gotals. Wasn't it Gotals? Yeah, yeah, the Goltol. Yeah, which was one of the rebel insurgents that was in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so that, that was... Be loyal, the... Sorry, they'd be loyal to, like, the actual Old Republic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everything that, I guess, the um, now Emperor Palpatine wanted to do would most likely be against that anyhow. Or was it at the end of the Clone Wars this happened? This happens at the start of the Galactic Empire. Um, yeah, see? So at that point, I can see him being like, you know what, it's consolidation of power. It's like... These guys might have too large of a voice after everything they've done throughout the entire Clone Wars. and didn't really help them much. They were subjugated, but they never stopped fighting. We want to mm-hmm. kind of subjugate everybody now. And if they follow that example, yeah, no, not going to work. So, you know, get rid of them. And then be, there is no example. It just seems like a very strange political move to... Because, um, like, you're going to people who were looking up to you and, like, stomping them into the ground, right? Like, the the real-life equivalent I can think of is, like, after World War II, uh, um, if after, you know, Germany and Italy and Japan had all been, uh, you know, censored for their or for their crimes, to then turn around and and have America, like, occupy France and like start murdering people in that they had in their resistance for France and being like, well, you shouldn't have been taken over by Germany. Yeah. That's a good like, way what were you thinking? It, it's just, it's, it's, it's not really fair. I, Cause I, yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's very strange. And like, I can see why they put it in the book. Um, like it, it makes sense from that perspective. Cause you know, it needs to be like, Oh, this is a gray zone, but it's like, it's not really a gray zone. It's just, <laughs> just evil. Yeah. Like the, the, the original uh, extended universe, like when the Tarkin Doctrine comes into effect, I always thought that was like a really brutal, 
like callous way for it to happen because uh dan i'm not sure if you know the the original tarkin doctrine i know the tarkin initiative uh, i don't know the tarkin doctrine i don't think yeah actually it might have been it was, no i think it was the tarkin doctrine back then um basically that tarkin the tarkin doctrine starts because tarkin goes to visit a world um and there is a huge protest happening on the landing pad mm. he's supposed mm-hmm. to land yeah like there's all these people like um i remember this uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's super like Tarkin-y, where they're they're all just like against the Empire, and they've got this huge peaceful protest going on, mm-hmm. and Tarkin just goes, land the shuttle, and there's like, but the people are down there, and yeah. he's like, this is like, a landing pad, yeah, land the shuttle, and so they land the shuttle on the supporters or on oh, the wow. protesters, on the protesters, yeah. yeah, and he's just like, you shouldn't have been here, you shouldn't like, this is the Empire, I'm not going to be nice. If I'm not going to ask you to move off of my property. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You are subjects of the Empire. You should know what you're doing. Like, you that's do exactly control. the same mentality that Tarkin has in this book. Mm-hmm. And that, that always struck me, though, as very, like, in, like pragmatic to a point. If you're, not, if you're not around the shuttle, you're fine. If you're, you know, not a threat to the Empire, that's all right. But as soon as you get in our way, we're going to grind you into the dust. Exactly. Yeah. Is there any other points of the book that we wanted to discuss? Is there... Um, not too sure. I think that, that covers a pretty healthy amount of it. How about the interactions between Vader and Tarkin? And like the Those mission they go on to um, Mercana. The Yeah, the, the interesting part that comes up there is the fact that um, Tarkin makes it pretty clear partway through the book that and i guess it, it it's it's a nice moment because it really shows his intelligence um he's he says that he's like 90 percent sure that darth vader is anakin hmm. uh, and he's like he's like yeah i'm like 90 percent sure so there's one part where i remember he tells he basically requotes a line that anakin told him at one point right to vader um just to be like any reaction and then vader doesn't do anything he's like mm, i still don't know exactly and that, that it was one of, of those like, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, go, go, go. Yeah, because because kind of like one of those. Eh, yeah, you are, aren't you? you know, mm. Your no reaction is enough reaction at that point. I know you know. Yeah. But it's like you know what? And it's like it's like one of those don't kiss and tell kind of things, right? Yeah. Like, clearly, the emperor would have been like, huh, yeah, this Skywalker, he's just all messed up. Don't worry, he's fine. That's another. Mirror. If you wanted people to know, right? Mm. So at that point, Tarkin's smart enough to be like, yeah, he, if he, the Emperor doesn't say anything, but he knows, I know. Okay, I guess I'm just privileged to have information now. Like yeah. I was saying before with Tarkin and Thrawn, there is a part in one of the Thrawn books that does come up. I'm not going to spoil anything serious, but Thrawn has very similar allegations in his mind about who Vader is as Anakin. Mm. And he does probe kind of like that as well, which is yeah. another similarity that I did find when I read through this book again. Okay, nice. Um, I did enjoy the fact that Palpatine kind of it was. It seemed like Palpatine was he knew kind of the outcome of what was going to happen with the Mercana mission. He knew kind of what was going on. It's kind of it was mm-hmm. an, an implied after the whole scenario was done. Um, but he just wanted to have Vader and Tarkin working together because throughout the Clone Wars, Anakin and him worked together, Tarkin, um, and they never really got along. Mm. And now as Vader and Tarkin, they still didn't really get along. So this Mercana mission gives them the opportunity to kind of work together as a more seamless unit. 
mm-hmm. um, which I say didn't really work out a hundred percent in in the emperor's favor that way. But mm-hmm. it was really interesting to see the mission. They go into this like abandoned home or whatever it was, this like warehouse, and they see all these things. Uh... And they're like, oh, there's another entrance, and then it turns into this thing. It's like, oh, the carrion spikes being taken away. Hospital originally, right? Hospital. That's what it was. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to point out was having the um, aged clone as a stormtrooper leader, like a, a commander or whatever. That was really mm-hmm. cool. I enjoyed that. And in the, the reading um, with uh, the Audible book, he does a pretty decent uh, clone voice for the character. So you understand that that's who that is, not mm-hmm. just a generic stormtrooper voice. Yeah, yeah. It sounds a bit more like uh, D. Bradley Baker. Yes, exactly. So I, I did enjoy that. And that's that's pretty much my thoughts on, on Tarkin. I, out of 10, what would we all give it? Ed, what would you give Tarkin? Michael, what would you give Tarkin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. I was muted. Oh. <laughs> I, I was, literally I couldn't hear you. I sat back and I was rocking, being like, hmm, I rate it. Okay, so let's, like, let's, I'll, let's do that again. Yeah, I think overall uh, 8.59 maybe out of 10. Like, I definitely enjoyed it. There are parts where I kind of just almost kind of speed read through because I was like, eh, I'm losing interest, I'm losing interest. This is, okay, no, it's something good. All right, let's get back into it. I think I did that a little too much. So that was the only reason why it didn't get a 10 for me. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Noma? Uh, on a similar vein, yeah, I'd probably give it like an 8, maybe 7.5, but yeah, probably an 8 out of 10. Very enjoyable book, uh, a lot of good backstory for, uh, you know, a slightly minor character. I'm always concerned when I read books like this that, you know, they're going to take a character like this and just absolutely ruin him. Um, but it was very good, and I, th- I it makes me under like, it makes me believe Tarkin a lot more in the movie, so I think that's a definite plus. Nice. I would give it an 8 out of 10, probably. Um, it was solid. It was a solid book. I would recommend it to anybody that uh, wants to read some of the new canon material. This would be on one of the top, I would say top 10 books for me so far. Um, maybe top 5. I, I, I'd have to look at all the books on my bookshelf again, but I would say it's up there. It's a really good book. I remember suggesting to my girlfriend to uh, listen to the audiobook because she was listening to thing like music and stuff and she wanted to try out some Star Wars audiobooks. So I, I recommended this to her. She had to stop about an hour into it or so because she just thought it was so dry. But then once <laughs> she got past that part, she really enjoyed it and she got through the whole thing and she really liked it. Um, I think that's the one thing this book struggles with is keeping your attention the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, even with the audiobook I found that I like I listened to the audiobook three times in total this is my third time listening through it um, and I would say this time I did like I'd say three quarters of the way through I was just like my mind was wandering and I come back in I'm like oh that's where they're at now okay cool you know like some parts like you said not super duper important to the plot but still mm-hmm. a good book good, good read good listen all around and the, the audiobook was read by a man named um, Ewan Morton, which is a different uh, audiobook narrator than Mark Thompson, who is usually the one that does all the books. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good to know. Yeah. 
So in conclusion, ten out of ten, no skelly. <laughs> no skelly. <laughs> and we don't have a joke for this book. No, this it doesn't deserve one. No, I don't think so either. Not, no, no, no. I'm not saying that not, like not in a bad way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, like, yeah. It's no, not a no satirical way. We made in this one. It's kind of yeah. on the more darker, serious tone. Where yeah, the, <laughs> there was no, there was no, joke. exactly, there was no terrible murder skelly in this. It was more, episode. yeah, it was more cut and dry, <laughs> which is good. Oh yeah, and it's funny how you can have books like that. Like, there's different spectrums of where these books lie on. Uh, character development, characters themselves, story plots, all that kind of stuff. Like this is a very. This is an book. empire story, man. Right, right. There you go. All right. Although speaking of an empire story with some more humor in it, although the oh, humorous oh. characters aren't from empire oh. or aren't from the empire. Let's move on to our next book, <laughs> which is uh, Darth Vader, Volume One, the comic book. Yes. This so is the original. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, so not what Ed was thinking of because he was saying, "Oh no." <laughs> yeah, the uh, the one thing I want to point out is that there are two Darth Vader comic book series right now. There is a 2015 one that ended with 25 uh, issues. There's also mm. a 2017 one that is ending soon with 25 issues. That one is called Dar- uh, Darth Vader: Dark Lord of the Sith. This one is just titled Darth Vader. So that is the one we're doing. We're doing the one in 2015, um, covering issues one to six. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, Darth Vader, Volume One, which is called Vader. Uh, so it is written by Kieran Gillen. Uh, penciler is Salvador LaRocca, colorist Edgar Delgado, and cover artist Adi Granov. Uh, so before we start, again, just a small disclaimer, guys. Um, the synopsis here is very condensed. It's going to skip a lot of the kind of banter and back and forth. And, you know, the main reason you read a comic book, basically, to kind of hear the interactions between characters. It's just going to get straight to the point. We're just going to tell you the 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 story facts and the story plot points just hit you with them all um if you'd like to read this and kind of get that full experience uh you know it's on it's probably actually dan if you can uh vouch for me i'm pretty sure it's online yes they have online versions for all the comics for if you want to purchase them through the marvel app you can do it that way single issues or volumes or you can go Mm. to like when you buy a comic at the comic book store you get like a when you open the comic and read through it there's a piece that you can open uh up and it's like a code you can redeem and you get a free comic issue a digital version of that comic issue uh Mm. for your so you like when you buy the physical comic you get a digital comic of the same issue so it's like two for one kind of thing um but Mm. yeah there is digital versions of all of the star wars comics including star wars adventures which they don't do the comic code (laughs) thing when you buy the thing so okay yeah i found that but uh yeah if you are interested you know Please support the official releases because it's the only way we're going to get more stuff for it. And, you know, a lot of these people worked pretty hard on this stuff and they brought us a nice story. So with that, let's begin. Issue one. So for issue one, we get a little bit of the uh, classic uh, opening scroll. And that opens with Vader. It is a period of insurgence. 
Rebel starships striking from a hidden base on a moon of Yavin have won a shocking surprise victory against the rightful reign of the Galactic Empire. The Empire's ultimate ultimate peacekeeping force, the Death Star, was destroyed due to an unforeseen design flaw. Without this deterrent, the rule of law is in danger. Chaos looms. For the 19 years after the vanquishing of the Jedi and his painful rebirth on volcanic Mustafar, Sith Lord Darth Vader has faithfully served his master, but now he has failed the Emperor and must pay the price. All right, before we continue, I just wanted Mm. to point out that this comic is taking place at the same time, roughly, or just after um, the Star Wars Volume 1 comic. Uh, the end of this is pretty much similar to the end of the Star Wars comic. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Skywalker Strikes is, yep. It's this takes pretty, place pretty close to parallel with that, mm-hmm. which I thought it was awesome. Oh yeah, and and they bring it up uh, a couple of times uh, in flashbacks and stuff like that. Yeah. All right. So, issue one. Vader arrives at Jabba's palace a day before he was expected to arrive for negotiations with the hut. He kills two guards and forces his way into Jabba's audience chamber. Vader tells Jabba he is here on personal business, not official. Jabba attempts to have Vader killed for his insolence, but Vader kills his assailants and forces Jabba to comply. Right before they start shooting at him, uh, you can see Jabba's finger or meaty hand going towards a button on the da- on the, like, this counter and Vader mm. it, it kind of focuses on his feet and he's standing just like half on the trap door half off the trap door where the rancor is that uh, Luke falls for mm. and he, then he, he fully steps back because he, re- like, he notices that there is a trap door door there mm. um, I just thought that was a really cool parallel with uh, Vader and, and Luke yeah, well, Luke he's, didn't he's... notice it and Vader did He's a little bit smarter than Luke. Exactly. I thought that was really cool. Mm. <laughs> Just a little smarter than him. <laughs> Wee bit. He didn't lose as many. I mean, Luke didn't lose as many limbs as Vader, though, so I guess it evens out. True. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Alrighty. So, there was a flashback to Coruscant. Vader retells the events in Skywalker Strikes, and Palpatine dismisses them before telling Vader he is responsible for the destruction of the Death Star, and he has failed utterly. Vader is demoted and told to complete negotiations with the Hut Cartel. Palpatine meets with a mysterious man before dismissing Vader. A day after his meeting with Jabba, Vader meets with Boba Fett and Black Kersantan. Vader orders Boba to bring the pilot who destroyed the Death Star back alive and for Black Kersantan to bring the mysterious man Palpatine met with to him. As both leave, the scene pans out to reveal the meeting place is a Tuscan village where Vader has slaughtered every inhabitant. Issue 2. An Imperial shuttle is being attacked by pirate Corellian corvettes. Before the ship can be destroyed and its cargo taken, 
Vader arrives in his TIE Advanced and disables the ship, saving the shuttle. On board the Super Star Destroyer Annihilator, Vader and Grand General Tag argue over the best way to deal with the pirate problem. Eventually, Tag pulls rank, tells Vader he will board the repaired corvette and use it to infiltrate the pirate base and destroy it. He assigns Lieutenant Un Ai to Vader as his eyes and ears. Un Ai asks for access to Vader's communications, to Vader's displeasure. Un Ai notes that his logs have recorded traffic with Boba Fett, to which Vader states he will explain on his return, leaving with an Imperial astromech droid. Quick question for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, does anybody else... I, I don't know why, but I really don't like Tag as a character. I literally, <laughs> I literally hate Tag. Like, in the movies... Not, I don't hate the, the actor, I just hate the character, which just gives mm. kind of props to the actor. But I just, I feel like he's just like such a, a scumbag Imperial. Yeah, well, I mean, like, his first and only lines in the movies were basically just yelling at Vader, like, you're obsolete. And you're kind of looking at him like, are you, are you kidding me, dude? He could kill you with a finger. Right, and then this he pulls rank to make mm. Vader shut up. Yeah, because yeah, he, he doesn't have any real power over Vader. He's just kind of a guy, a screaming guy. Exactly, and he's and he's like, well, yeah, Tarkin, doesn't he say Tarkin's gone and all these people are gone from the Death Star, but I'm not, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, he has a whole thing where it's where he's like, oh, this plan, is my my plan isn't as grand as, as Tarkin's or yours, but yeah, it's going to work, and you're like, mm, all right. Let's see how this goes. Yeah. All right. The Corvette returns to the pirate's asteroid station, and Vader begins his assault with a platoon of stormtroopers and Un Ai. In desperation, the pirates unleash modified destroyer droids, sold to them by unknown person, they're just referred to as Afra, but they will be very important later, to attack the Imperials. And though the stormtroopers suffer heavy casualties, Vader crushes the droids with the force. Which the pirates, that is a cool scene, and those droids. Oh yeah, yeah, they are very interesting uh, modifications for the destroyer droids. I was not aware you could fit missile launchers on uh, right. Like destroyers. It's basically, imagine a destroyer droid from episode what one, I guess, and two. Yeah, one. Uh, or one, guess, two, three. Is it three? Yeah, I guess it would be. Yeah, one, two, and mm. three. But uh, above its arms, where it's like it's got the two blasters. There's like a big armored piece that comes out on each side, like wings, mm-hmm. and one on its head that has missiles that come out of it, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Yeah, uber destroyer droids, which is very neat. The pirates attempt to self-destruct the station. However, Vader and Unai are able to download the station's information and escape. As all this happens, the Imperial astromech droid hacks into the pirate base and then returns to the stolen Corvette. Vader returns to Tag and informs him that the pirates were backed by the Crimora Syndicate. He also brings Un-Ai's corpse, and explains that Un-Ai was an Imperial leak, taking information to tell the pirates about the Imperial schedule. Is he dead? His betrayal... I'm pretty sure. He doesn't... He, he comes in... He's carrying him by the scruff of his neck. Yeah. And he kind of just throws him on the ground, and he doesn't get back up. That's true, yeah. I would assume if it's Vader, he's, he's dead, yeah. <laughs> Why leave a job half done, man? That's true. That's yeah, true. exactly, right? I always thought he was just unconscious, honestly. I figure it's also... Well, uh, I'll, I'll get into it as, uh, at the end of uh, this part, but there is, I think, another reason why he's killed Unai. Um, okay. And on that note, uh, his betrayal is confirmed from the pirate's data logs. 
He tells Tag to watch over his subordinates better. However, it is revealed that Vader tasked the astromech droid to fake Eye's leaks onto the pirate's database, and the comic ends with him destroying the droid to cover up all loose ends. Interesting line uh, so, Vader. Yeah, uh, droids, are, droids are always dependable. Is that the one? Yeah, oh, one yeah. can always trust droids. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's the other reason why Unai is definitely dead, because if he was alive, he could have been like, I'm not a leak. Where are you getting this from? Exactly. But uh, yeah, I find that interesting where Vader's just like, all right, I've got a plan to get rid of this guy, and I might as well just make sure there's no loose ends. Bye-bye, droid. <laughs> Issue 3. The issue begins with an unknown woman sneaking into a vault of some kind. She avoids the laser tripwires and manages to steal a triple zero personality matrix. However, she trips the laser wires on her way out and barely manages to escape the security measures. However, she is cornered by a group of super battle droids and a Polis Mawson curator who she argues with. As he states, the matrix is dangerous and her stating, it should be in an armory, haha, Indiana Jones. Exactly. <laughs> it, the, the escaping of the security thing is when she rolls underneath the door as well as Indiana Jones-esque. Yeah. Which yeah, I really very... loved. Because I think there's, yeah, literally there's a part where she's being chased by a giant destroyer droid. Mm-hmm. Instead like of a boulder. boulder. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so she gets under. Vader then arrives in his TIE Advanced, which surprises the curator, who states his presence is a violation of treaties. However, Vader attacks, destroying the super battle droids and killing the curator, before telling Aphra he has need of her skills. Aboard Aphra's ship, the Archangel, Vader states that he ran into Aphra's modified destroyer droids and is impressed with her work. Aphra tells Vader she needs to code break the triple zero security mate or sorry, personality matrix, before she can help Vader. But Vader, but Vader breaks through the Matrix's security easily, which surprises Aphra. She loads the Matrix into a 3PO unit, and the new sentience introduces itself as 000, or triple zero. Protocol droid specializing in etiquette, customs, translation, and torture. Aphra reveals that triple O, sorry, triple zero, is needed to activate another droid she found, an astromech prototype named BT-1, which was designed to see if an assassin droid would be able to masquerade as an astromech. They call it a blastomech prototype. Yeah, blastomech prototype, that's right. And the nice thing about, just kind of to give you guys an idea of what they look like, imagine C-3PO for triple zero, but more of like a dark gray color, but his eye, his photoreceptors, his eyes are like glowing red. And then BT-1 basically looks like an R2-D2, but the eye socket area looks more like there is like lots of energy flowing in there with all the different coils and things. Also glowing with a red eye, and he's like a darker color, like a darker gray. Yeah, they're both like a slate gray or like light black, I guess. Yeah, slate gray is a great uh, way to describe it. Mm. Uh, so BT-1... Massacred the Tarkin initiative base it was built in, then destroyed the base. And as Triple Zero was also made at a Tarkin initiative base, it can reactivate BT. Immediately upon activation, BT attempts to kill Vader and Aphra, 
but Triple Zero forces it to shut down. Vader tells Afra that he needs her to help track down resources to start creating his own private army. Afra agrees to help and tells Vader about an old, strange facility located on Geonosis, asking if Vader has any qualms with the planet. Vader states he does not, and the pair head for the old world. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. I retransmitted it just as you would request it, Master. Then we decided to come and rescue you. Good job. Issue 4. Aphra and Vader land on Geonosis, and Aphra explains that she was told by the droid Gatra that a Geonosian queen was still maintaining a droid factory below the world's surface. Triple Zero and BT-1 are sent to explore the cave and run into strange droid-Geonosian-looking hybrids before BT-1 slaughters them. The group reaches the factory and finds a Geonosian queen integrated with machinery making the droid-bug hybrids. Vader sets to work, attacking the Queen and killing every droid he can find. After some difficulty, Aphra is able to call the Archangel for a surface bombardment to open the factory to Geonosis's surface. Vader and Aphra are able to lo load the droid production platform onto Vader's ship, which is revealed to be Padme's old royal ship. On board the Archangel, Aphra gets the droid factory working again although it can only produce single droids at a time. She then reveals that she expects Vader will kill her now, as she has completed her mission for him. However, Vader surprises her by stating that as long as he needs her services and she is loyal, he will not kill her. Triple Zero interrupts by saying Black Kersantin has returned with the mysterious man Palpatine was talking to. Vader reveals the mysterious man was shipping illegal alien organ supplies, and wants to know the man's base of operations and mission from Palpatine. When the man refuses, Vader leaves his torture and interrogation to Triple Zero, who is ecstatic at the opportunity. Triple Zero returns and reveals the man was a doctor named Silo 4, and he has located the base he has. Plotting the course, Triple Zero tells Vader he must be excited to meet his rivals, and Vader demands he explain. Triple Zero tells Vader that the base contains Palpatine's replacement for Vader, which stokes the Sith Lord's fury. Issue 5 Aphra and Vader find the late Dr. Silo 4's base, which turns out to be a collection of void whales integrated with massive amounts of tech to create mobile star stations. Vader takes Triple Zero, BT-1, and his new droid army to assault the station. Everything goes smoothly until Vader reaches an area called the Dojo and encounters two lightsaber-wielding twins named Morit and Aeolin along with a man who looks exactly like Silo 4, but calls himself Silo 5. 5 reveals that he makes personality maps and memory banks of himself, uploading them into new bodies and effectively making him immortal. Vader remarks that Morit and Aeolin have lightsabers, but not Force. 
Silo remarks that the galaxy is old and that the Force isn't necessary for Vader's replacements. He hopes to make something new and better. He reveals all of Vader's replacements, showing a human woman surrounded by orb droids, a Trandoshan in an advanced bodysuit, and a Mon Calamari who is robotic and skeletal from the head down. Vader prepares to attack the group, but Palpatine appears and commands him to stop. Silo states that ever since his fourth incarnation disappeared, he knew Vader would be coming, and that he's ready to show the Emperor that Vader is obsolete. Palpatine tells Silo to stop bragging and show him something, and the replacements begin to rush Vader. Do what must be done, Lord Vader. Do not hesitate. Show no mercy. Only then will you be strong enough with the dark side. Issue 6. Vader squares off against his replacements as Silo explains each of the combatants' strengths to the Emperor, from the Twins' gene modifications, the Trandoshan's immortal combat and memory AI implanted within it, the women with the orb droids and the fact she is not actually a combatant but a researcher bent on revenge, and the Mon Calamari's modifications to include extra arms and make him a sort of grievous clone. Palpatine calls for a true test, and the combatants begin a free-for-all melee with each other. Vader squares off against the Trandoshan. However, the lightsaber-wielding Morad kills the Trandoshan, which causes Palpatine to stop the fight. He states that they will all do his bidding, but in the end, he only needs one of them to survive. They are not to kill each other, or if they do, Palpatine should not be able to find out. He then calls Vader to leave with him. Palpatine is impressed Vader built up a droid force without his knowledge, and Vader remarks that his replacements are abominations. Palpatine counters that Vader failed him when he was defeated at Mustafar, and that the dark side is power. If Vader is strong enough in the dark side, he will triumph over his replacements. Vader returns to his ship and orders Aphra to launch. She then tells him that Boba Fett contacted him. We then arrive at the same area Skywalker Strikes does. Boba tells Vader that his target got away, but he has a name, Skywalker. Boba leaves as Vader realizes that the Emperor lied to him so long ago, and calls the Emperor over holocoms. The Emperor senses great anger in Vader, and Vader states that he understands their relationship now. The issue ends with Vader staring out at his fleet, st stating that he will have his son, and that everything will be theirs. All right, so that is the end of the first six issues of the Vader comic book series. Uh, so, guys, what did you guys think about uh, the first six issues? And I'll give you this one first. So, first off, enjoy Vader because <laughs> he does Vader things constantly through this. That just made me smile so much. Like, if you remember, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> If you remember a few episodes ago when I was just describing like why he was one of my favorites, it was just the way he acted just day to day. It's like, huh, oh, you're going to kill Vader for his insolence? He's the only one that gets to use that word anymore, all right? Mm. <laughs> and just makes everything look like a joke to be like, oh, yeah, the bad guys are planning their thing. He's like, just stop. <laughs> so oh, when yeah. he was so when he's with uh, the huts and everything, just dealing with that, it's like, yeah, no, you shut up and listen to me mm -hmm. all right you're here uh, the negotiations is, are mine i'm here this negotiation done 
That's it. What I say goes. That's it. I'm Vader. You listen. Oh yeah. Even 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 from the first couple of pages, like you get this this uh, beginning that's very reminiscent of Return of the Jedi. Like Vader walks up to Jabba's palace. The door opens. He sees the two guards. Um, and then in Luke's version, you know, he sees the two guards and kind of lets them take him. Goes up to Bib Fortuna, mind tricks him, and is like, well, "Take me to Jabba." That whole thing. So Vader's version is he walks in, the same two guards, or not the same two, but the two guards are there. Vader just kills them, just immediately murders them. Um, keeps walking forward. Bib Fortuna has the whole same thing that he does, and Vader just goes, "I'm going to speak with Jabba." Turns on his lights. Everyone goes, "Tell him." It's just like, oh, he's not messing around. This is just. <laughs> Vader's like gonna do Vader no things. time for games man that's the best part mm-hmm. everybody fears him for a reason he is a symbol of fear for a reason mm-hmm. and we get to see a lot of that through this series um when he where where was it where was it just taking things into his own hands again like oh yeah no everybody's riding on that thing i will ride in my own starfighter not shuttle like mm-hmm. i, I want to be in my starfighter i and that was where it's like you know you try to distance yourself from who you were, but you know you were damn good at flying, so nothing's going to take that away, limbs or no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, and it's just like, yeah, no, nobody stands before him, right? Like uh, like you were saying with the negotiations, right? Like he just he shows up and he's just... And Jabba tries to do the whole, like... Oh, like, what, what a fine guest. What can I do for you? Exactly. And Vader's just like, no, yeah, stop. We're not doing this. But We're then, speaking plainly. And, exactly. Yeah. And Jabba so, goes, well, that's that's not nice. I'm going to kill you. And Vader's like, all right, I guess I have to kill some people. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, I got to make my point here. Shut up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's exactly how he is, right? So you see it again when all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I'm here in this dojo. Okay. And wait, wait, who who are you? Mm-hmm. What what is this? What is this abomination that you have in front of me right now? Yeah. I think is something that he uh, something along those lines anyway. But so horrified and how what he treasured in the force was like being always maybe like not masqueraded. What's the what's the word for it? Parodied almost. Mm-hmm. And you have that in front of him, like yeah, that's your replacement. See, we can just build something like we built you. And I think. Just him just going nuts at the reminder, then just basically tearing them to treasures. Like, oh, yeah, no, you can't stand up to me, and I'm pissed off now, so you, no, get get away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting to see what kind of – I hate the word triggered, but it's, it's interesting to see what kind of sets him off too. Like the um, anger invader? Because yeah, he, he was already sensitive from before, right? Mm-hmm. And this now, it's like OCD-sensitive. Yeah, there's the one little line when uh, Vader's learned about all his replacements and Silo 5 goes like, uh, he basically has this thing where he, he goes, oh, in many ways, these are your children. And Vader's just like, enough! <laughs> goes to attack and then Palpatine has a really barbed remark where he goes like, you will forgive Lord Vader. He is sensitive on the topic of children. And I was like, oh boy. Yeah, no <laughs> shit, eh? <laughs> He's like, what yeah, if, I know what you did. I played yeah. the videos for laughs every once yeah. in a while. <laughs> exactly, right? Just like, oh. So jumping back oh, a little bit. Oh, Skywalker, what, what are, are we, we going, going to do? Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> jumping right. back a bit uh, to near the beginning when you first get talked, uh, Vader's talking to Palpatine in the interrogation room. The guy that's on the interrogation table is Overseer Agadine, who is the mm-hmm. overseer of the arms base um, that Luke and Han and Leia and Chewie destroyed. Yeah, he's the guy that survived. But like, if you look at him now, he looks pretty rough. Like, no hair. He is strapped down to that table and he's being interrogated and like tortured. Yeah, he he is not going to survive until episode five. No kidding. (laughs) And then, and some other things here. Um, The scene with Luke and Vader when Luke is at the arms base. You see it from Vader's point of view. Mm -hmm. And he's like, he looks down at the lightsaber that he had taken from Luke, and he says, "Wait, this lightsaber." I know this weapon. This once belonged to, and then it jumps to the Falcon flying away. And he's like, the boy, Obi-Wan gave him my lightsaber, which is mm-hmm. like, oh, so Anakin isn't dead, you know? Because he always tells people like, Anakin, like that Jedi is dead. And in mm-hmm. this, he talks to himself. He's thinking to himself, he's like, that was my lightsaber, you know? Like, that is, that is an interesting um, tidbit about Vader. That mm-hmm. Anakin is still alive in there somewhere exactly which is also interesting because if you look at vader's actual lightsaber it looks pretty similar to uh anakin's yes it does it's it's, if you put them side by side it does they both have those black lines on the bottom of them Mm. um they both have very similar like overall form similarities but yeah you're right so i have both fx lightsabers for (laughs) anakin i don't doubt that vader nice and you're absolutely right. Like, the shape of them, you find that Anakin's is a little more sleek in the mm-hmm. sense that it does have, like, that, that, that kind of, like, grip at the bottom with those black bars on it. Um, but then we looked at how Anakin fought, right? There was a bunch of spins, flips. He, he looked like a Taru and gem, so that he was using most of the time. But he, Vader can't do that, right? So, like, mm-hmm. when you see his lightsaber, and it's got, like, it's, it's a li- it feels like it's a little shorter, because he's using it with one hand mostly all the time, right? And just, like, pure power that's bringing down on it. And so, like, the, the slight curve he has at the top of it. Not curve, but, like, the angle that, like, it shapes out at. Yeah. That has, like, a... Mm. It's, like, black wrapped around that, too, right? To be like, haha, yes, now you are, like, evil blade kind of thing. I don't know. But I like the design of both of them, and I like how what they both like mean to each character like you see in anakin just like the, the flashiness of it basically exactly like mm-hmm. like it looks like a haha this is like a souped up cylinder of power and then vader's just like this weapon will destroy you mm-hmm. i don't know but that's how they <laughs> that's how i feel when i have them would you guys oh, yeah, think well, of the tuscan if... tuscan raider scene <laughs> I mean, it's oh. the only thing he hates more than sand, right? right? I thought it was interesting that he just like he literally he he made the meeting place a Tuscan Raider camp, and he just murdered everybody. He's like, you know what? I just want to kill these guys. They killed mm-hmm. my mom. I kill them. Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, I, I think it's an interesting thing, right? Like they they have a. It's one of the the views of the dark side. I'm not a huge fan of because I do kind of like to see the light side and dark side is a little bit gray, um, but. You know, they say anger, anger, right? Anger is one of the key emotions, and it kind of tempers your your power and your focus. So it kind of makes sense where he's just like, you know, I, I have to wait for these guys anyways. I might as well increase my dark side uh, potential. But who would I be able to kill? I'd need to kill someone who, oh, I know. 
Let's go into the Dune Sea for a bit. Go kill some Tuskins. Exactly. <laughs> just for just for laughs. Yeah, just, and, just for fun. Right? And looking looking at the <laughs> looking at the uh, casual murder. The, exactly. The bounty hunters he has with him: Boba Fett and Black Chrysanthemum. Black Chrysanthemum, the massive black-haired Wookiee with the massive mm-hmm. scar on his face. As we can see, Boba Fett is like maybe up to his shoulder in the picture. Mm-hmm. He is a massive Wookiee. Oh yeah, because I, I think you see in, in the next panel, yeah, and in a couple of the panels, basically Boba comes up to just around the mid chest section of uh, Chrysanthemum. Exactly. And you can kind of see how tall Vader is in that picture. You know, Vader is a tall person with his cybernetic legs and things. They made mm-hmm. him. They did make him taller. He's like oh, two yeah. meters tall or something like that, mm-hmm. towering over people. Um, and then we get a scene with Tag later on with uh, Vader. Tag, like yeah. I said earlier, I really don't like him as a character. Um, <laughs> he, like, I, I hate him. Like, I really don't like. There's not many characters in Star Wars that I hate. Tag is the one character I'm like. I really just don't want him to survive anything. I want him to die. <laughs> Huge Dan disclaimer. He's the most positive person I've ever met, and can yes. say that he hates something. You're Tag. It's I don't know what it is. Extremely rare. Is it? Yeah. Is These are his, all the feelings. Is it his, his the way he says says things? I think it's the way he deals with with things. He pulls rank on Vader in this comic, and mm. he in the movie in Episode Four he basically tells Vader like uh, Noma was saying, he is out of like your relic. You're a thing that we don't need anymore. Yeah, you know. I don't believe in this force stuff. Blah blah blah. It's like the 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 analogy I kind of see is it's like it's like looking at a bully who is shorter than the guy he's bullying and skinnier than the guy he's bullying, but you know that he's richer and that's why it's happening. It's like you he's got, yourself he's got names and places. Yeah. Yeah. Of your own merits. You are not a threat, but exactly. because of, because of this other thing that you don't control, I'm supposed to take you seriously. It's something like that. I think I did also enjoy the, um, the astromech he uses for the, the the mission that he goes on to destroy the moon base or whatever, the asteroid base, mm-hmm. and to get all the information. And then he takes the astromech and out the door he goes, blows up in space, and he's like, hmm, droids? One can always trust droids. And mm-hmm. that's like a super big uh, um, juxtaposition between that and him and R2-D2 in the Clone Wars where... Like, R2-D2 was coming back from a mission. This massive ship was coming in with some beradium. It was about to destroy this massive um, space station with... Or the ships with, like, Anakin and all these generals on them. And R2-D2 mans the ship himself. And I don't remember exactly how it plays out, but the ship explodes away from, uh, like, the critical points. And R2-D2 gets destroyed, and Anakin's out there looking for R2-D2 the entire time. Mm -hmm. You know? Whereas this one, he's just like, yep explosions i'm moving on yeah yeah it's a very stark contrast exactly and then we get into afra what do you guys think of afra as a character this is the first time we ever have seen afra as a new character and she's introduced so i i think that first impressions are very important um at least for me for a lot of characters and there's only a few times where i've seen a character where i get a first impression from them and i just don't like or don't care about the character 
and over time they're able to kind of grow on me more and Afra is definitely one of those interesting okay and it's, it's only because of that line that I was talking about uh, in the synopsis where she's arguing with the museum curator and she goes it should be in an armory and my eyes rolled into the back of my skull when I read that yeah <laughs> I was just like, oh my god! Like, there's that... a there's a point oh, yeah. um, that they're talking about the triple zero matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, she says in this, um, she's talking to the curator, and the curator says, "I'm equally unsurprised to find you setting off the alarms. There's a reason why the triple zero matrix has been quarantined for centuries." And then a little bit later, um, on after ship. She is talking to Vader oh, about yeah, the yeah. droids, and then Triple uh, Zero says, "Ah, and I was also a product of the Good Sir Tarkin's initiative, and so I'm entirely fluent with all the internal test languages, which is why he can activate BT One." Mm-hmm. Now, how, like, what I'm not getting here is there is it can to me there's an inconsistency between Triple Zero yeah. saying he was part of the Tarkin initiative was that his um, personality matrix, or was that modifications to his personality matrix? Um, that I don't get because the Tarkin Initiative is Tarkin, like Wool of Tarkin, and he's not centuries years old. I just, yeah. That's the one thing that bugs me in this issue. Something yeah, plot small, holes, but plot holes, in, plot holes in the same issue is a little bit disconcerting. And it's like four uh, or five pages across, like between them. So I can understand that, like I said, if it was like a personality matrix that was created centuries ago, but then Tarkin Initiative took that and they modified it to make him what he is now. Mm. That's that would make sense to me, but that's all. That's the one thing I really didn't like. Yeah, and it, it, even if that is the you know the, what they're trying to get across, it would have been nice for that to be more clear. Exactly. Um, yeah, because right now it just feels like a reach. Yeah, and and so that that might have just been another thing. Because like I was saying, like was, by the end of this book, I really didn't care that much about Afra. She's got the nice, the kind of nice scene where. Um, they finished getting the droid facility and she's like, all right, you're going to kill me now. Right. Like that seems like what you would do. And I was like, oh, okay. So she's also very self-aware. That's not bad. Um, and then she goes and ruins it like the next issue. I think because she, when Vader like leaves to go on his mission, um, in the, to assault like the whale starship, she has a thing where she's like, oh, this is, this is the greatest job of my life. Yeah. This is the greatest job of my life. And I was like, he, you you thought he was gonna kill you an issue ago, yeah. What what's happening? Um, so I mean, maybe it's just that I I I don't know anything about the the writer who did this series, but um, regardless of of what it was, um, I've read some of the the later on Vader novels, and Afra did grow on me uh, as a character to the point where I was worried about her dying. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's it's it is impressive that they were able to pull her back, but it is a bit of a I feel like her her or her first appearance was a bit of a misstep it's the same thing with when we were talking about sauna strikes uh in the last temple archives you mean sauna storos yeah sorry skywalker strikes i'm slipping up my my words now in skywalker strikes last temple archives when sana solo shows up you you come in with a cliched line like i'm sana solo i'm his wife and immediately i'm gonna be like like you're defiling canon what are you doing stop yeah um but that character I don't know as much about, so it's it's you know, I haven't heard everyone still screaming about her these days. So I'm, I hopefully that character gets a lot better and integrates really well with the universe. But she does get her own comic but, series. 
okay. It's 26 fair. issues in so far. Um, I enjoy oh. it. A lot. Some people don't, but I, I don't know. I Like you said, she grew on me in the Vader series, so I do enjoy mm. the Afra comic uh, like series itself. Mm. So, What do you think of the Archangel, her ship, the design of it? <laughs> that thing looks like a monstrosity. With all the guns on it, it looks like a like a heavily modified like prototype of like a fire spray yeah yeah because then on the bottom of it i just realized in the picture of the archangel vader's tie is like attached to it i didn't realize that until just now okay yeah it's docked to the back of it which is interesting um but yeah yeah. i didn't notice that either uh i like the, the image of it it looks pretty cool i enjoy that my main question is how does it land <laughs> yeah that's true it just blasts wherever it needs to it just, i guess so. it just floats it's just, it's perma floating <laughs> ed what did you think of triple zero and bt1 so i'm definitely with vader when he talks about um you can always trust a droid yeah like, i think especially in star wars are the ones that like I immediately like I'll see a droid and be like, Oh, that's the that's my kind of like there's a there's a dog kind of feeling. Right, exactly. And it's just like I just I just feel happy when it well, three PO doesn't really make me feel happy. I just kinda get <laughs> irritated. <laughs> and and what you're talking about. He, he pulled off <laughs> he pulled off his disguise in Skywalker's magnificently. Well no, did you... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god my, that has to be my favorite 3PO moment out of like any of the movies oh, or anything so the good gun. <laughs> it, it redeems him from the full like five minutes of puns in episode 2 where I thought I was going to reach through the screen and try and dismantle him myself nice. Nice. oh my god I hated that R2 drops his head off by his body and goes oh I'm quite beside myself and I was like kill me somebody just kill me please I don't want to be here anymore would you, you guys like uh, BT's like massive cannon and flamethrowers and like rockets on the side what do you think of those I was with Afra at that point where I'm just like isn't he so cute like right? look at him like I was fawning over a droid, just being like, "Yeah, he's no, I you're 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 mine now. Okay, you're coming home with me. Like I I want a droid like this." But um, no, I definitely I definitely loved seeing them and them getting. I I love R two and he'll always be my favorite. But the missions with him in three PO, I was always kind of just like R two carry me through this. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> these two, they have such a great like those two had a good dynamic, but these two, it's just like okay, they're pretty much on the same wavelength here they're murder droids and they know they know what they're about so it was like watching two like crooked cops go about their business kind exactly of exactly and they need and tortures I love silo four exactly triple zero so, and silo four that was pretty good yeah there's there's a oh sorry keep going oh no, no, go ahead i was gonna say like uh there's a great back and forth that uh bt and triple zero have at one point where um because afro has been fairly polite to them the entire time but when they go with Vader to to storm the space station, um, Vader doesn't like acknowledge or thank them at all. Uh, he just is like, "Open the door, do this, hurry up." Um, and BT, or sorry, and, and Triple Zero is like, "Oh, I've had more great masters." And BT asks him something, and he just goes, "No, it didn't stop me from killing them all before." But politeness <laughs> is free, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's some good banter." <laughs> oh, that's some good stuff that happens <laughs> later on. So we get the Geonosis. And mm. Afra is seeing all like the mummified dead Geonosians, and she's like, "Wow, they really sterilized this planet, the Imperials." 
and she asks uh, Vader, have you ever been on to Geonosis? And then he has a minor memory blip that is him kissing Padme as they're going out to the Coliseum where all the animals or the creatures are to attack them mm-hmm. in episode two. And uh, he's just like, cease your probing. I'm done with this. Let's just move on. And he's trying to build his own droid, like bl- platoon, I guess, to um, able to have his own resources, right? And uh, this whole scene with the droid, half droid, half Geonosian like creatures is very interesting. And then you get BT just like blowing them up with fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just loved BT after this issue. I, I just, honest to God, loved them. Then you get to see the Geonosian Queen with all the um, like machinery attached to her her body and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I have a question for you guys. Mm. Do you recognize this this Queen? Is it the same one from the Clone Wars TV show? Rebels. Oh, okay. So when Kanan, Ezra, and um, Guerrera. Guerrera go down into Geonosis, they see mm-hmm. her, um, and they have to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Same idea okay. with I think she was in the Clone Rose Wars too, was she not? There's a couple Geonosian queens in the Clone Wars, so it might okay. have been because uh, in the, in the Clone Wars it was when all the the, the clones were getting infected with um, that worm thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was this I think is a little bit different, and she is the um, the one from Rebels, I believe. Maybe not. Maybe she is the one from Clone Wars. I don't know. We have to take a look on the wiki or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's interesting to see this and like the the weird creature that she is with all these droids and things. Um, the massacre that happens, and then we get to see Vader's ship. Yeah, which was a bit surprising. I love that ship. And then his comment was, <laughs> um, "She says, are you sure your ship can lift this? The Archangel is heavier. Du- is a heavy duty lifter. Um, yours looks pretty like a pretty thing, but." And then he says she has, uh, she has enhan- certain enhancements. It's stronger than it looks. And then it pans out to the, to the Nebu, um, Nubian, kind of style f- um, flyer. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Yeah, it was it was a nice surprise. And then it, it sticks around for the the series, which is kind of nice. Yes, you know he's still sentimental about a couple of things, which makes sense because if he didn't care about his family, then why would he ever try to help Luke or anything like that, right? Exactly. And I just realized, too, the picture with the Archangel, they have the mm-hmm. TIE Advance attached to the one side and the Nubian mm-hmm. ship attached to the other side. So, like, it's three oh, ships yeah? on one, yeah. Right, cool. right after the panel of him saying it's stronger than it looks. Um, we get a scene oh, okay. of him them interrogating Silo 4. What do you think of Silo 4 and Silo 5 as characters, like, of that concept of a, of a person? being able to be downloaded and then put into a new it's, body. It feels like DC trying to be like, oh, somebody's dead, but they're not forever. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times if some, if someone brings up functional immortality, it usually kind of just, I don't know, it seems a bit, a bit odd to me because it's okay. like, haha, I have plot device on my side. Yeah. Those whale bases, though, man, those void whales, jeez. Mm-hmm. That, was that was pretty, pretty cool. cool. Like that's that's some heavy duty tech to make those things flying bases, mm. um, and then he fights. And... Go ahead. 
I was, I was just going to make a joke and say, and now imagine if we could put hyperdrives on them, we could blow up the Empire, the First Order's fleets even faster. There you go. <laughs> That'd be awesome. And then we, <laughs> then we get uh, the twins and all the other replacements that he has to fight. The like the General Grievous, Akbar type commander person. Um, mm. His name's Commander Carbon. Uh, he's from the Separatist Andy. War. Mm. His ship was lost towards the end, and uh, he was rebuilt 18 and years he, after. And minor spoilers, he will be a very important character, and he definitely won't be a throwaway. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then we got a Trandoshan with, like, crazy strong arms. His, his whole shtick was interesting, too, because the synopsis doesn't really explain it well, but um, Silo... Silo 5 is basically explaining that he's less an actual person and more just like a bunch of enhancements and AI programs that they've shoved into a basically brainless guy. To Silo? So it's like Silo is, is the accumulation of all that? No, no, no. no. That, uh, Silo, like that's how Silo made him. He just drained this guy's brain basically and uh, put in a bunch of AI enhancements and gene modifications to make him like a combat monster. Oh, the Trandoshan, so tra you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this whole thing is like, if the Trandoshan dies, we can just bring in any one of any other species, drain their brain, and then I can put this into them. That's interesting, um, yeah. Yeah, it, it reminded me of now, not at the time, because it didn't it, it didn't exist, or uh, it probably did exist, but it wasn't as popular back then. But it reminds me of uh, My Hero Academia with uh, the Nomu characters. Yeah, actually, that's, uh, that's a very good uh, analogy. Mm -hmm. They're yeah, mindless so, creatures so, that are just a whole bunch of quirks put into one thing, right? Yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, that's that's pretty neat. It's basically like this, except Star Warsified. Right. And in this scene, Vader's about to get uh, attacked by um, the Trandoshan, but the male Jedi-like guy um, saves him. And then he's mm -hmm. like, this I will not forget. And he's like, oh, don't be sentimental. It's like, no, no, I'm going to murder you. Yeah. Yeah, very much to like reinforcing what Ed said, where Vader is Vader. In any normal person, that would sound like, a, you know, oh, you saved my life, I owe you. And then it's just like, you took my kill. You kill stole. <laughs> exactly. You're going to yeah. kill. <laughs> yeah, you, you kill stole. You're going to pay for that. And it's just like, exactly. oh. <laughs> um, I, was, I was just trying to help. No. Yeah. And now that nope. we Steals. get to the end of this, uh, we get the scene with uh, Vader figuring out who Luke is. And uh, him knowing his place as the Emperor's apprentice, mm. and, and that it's not it's not a trusting, open relationship like it would have been with Obi Wan, right? Right. Palpatine is actively lying to him and not telling him things, and Vader just kind of realizes, like, all right, you're not you're my master, but the, you being my master is not the same as Obi Wan being my master. Because right. in that sense, Obi Wan was a teacher. Mm -hmm. like, and an older brother, like a father I, figure almost. Yeah. Dare I say sensei. <laughs> <laughs> At the dojo. Yeah. But seriously, Obi-Wan Obi -Wan was definitely that like father figure for Anakin. And mm -hmm. uh, understanding that the Sith operate in different ways now is interesting that he's finally getting that kind of memo. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. But we got introduced to so many characters. I'm excited to see where they go. Um,. With, especially with Afra and BT and Triple Zero. Mm. Actually, just, just jumping back to that for a bit, because 
I can't be a gnome if I'm not negative about one other thing that a lot of Uh-oh. other people on the podcast oh, like. Oh, no, here we go. <laughs> so at the time when I was reading the comics, um, I, I did really enjoy BT1's character. I thought he was really neat. Um, however, now with other Star Wars things that come out, I feel like he's a slightly inferior version of Chopper. Oh, okay. Um, just because of the fact that, like, I like Chopper originally. He was, like... He seemed like I like the fact of a very like the idea of a very curmudgeonly, just angry droid. Um, because I was like, oh, he's like a toned down HK 47 or something, you know, he's HK 47 without the murder. Um, and then I kept watching the series and I went, oh no, he's just a grumpy HK 47. Like the fact that he laughs while he's killing people, yeah. Um, just I was like, oh, that that's a concern. Um, and but then I think the thing the reason I like Chopper more is because Chopper is just armed with normal weapons like standard droid kind of loadouts, um, and I think to me it's always funnier to see a crazy person with a shank as opposed to a crazy person with a rocket launcher. True. So, like, and granted, I'm not saying BT One isn't a good character. Like, I still like him a lot, and him and Triple Zero do definitely work well off each other. Mm-hmm. It's just that I, I feel like Chopper is a slightly superior version of him. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine Chopper with all the armaments; it'd be a little nuts. I, I don't think the Ghost Crew would survive like a month. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. <laughs> yes, because someone would say something snarky to Chopper, and he'd actually just accidentally kill them. Nice. <laughs> like devil's advocate of devil's advocate then mm. i really don't like chopper <laughs> oh yeah at all interesting like i mean kind of like with the reasons you listed like the fact that he was like yeah cranky i was like yeah no he's a jerk like i I, <laughs> don't, I don't like him interesting like, okay I, I thought on the other hand it's like if he's if you know he blew up or just got lost in the space i wouldn't feel bad <laughs> but um like yeah like i'd be like the crew would be fine like no yeah. here's here's our nude guy droid who does the same stuff and doesn't act like a and a curmudgeon the I mean, entire time i feel like we I could mean, talk about droids for like an entire episode yes, yes I, I, I was just gonna i was just gonna point out that twice a new droid shows up to help the rebels and chopper murders both of them right he knows like they probably like him more than me there can't yeah, be another droid exactly only one but on the flip side the thing i i do like with that as well is like one of the things i love about filoni is um this is gonna sound weird but he knows the place of his characters um, like, he never makes out any of his characters to be better than the originals, which is something that a lot of people do, right? Um, yeah. Like, Kanan, Kanan isn't a better... Um, like, Kanan's not a better Luke. Like, Ahsoka's not a better... He's a different um, character. Yeah, exactly. She, like, she does become powerful, but she doesn't just curb-stomp Vader when they meet each other, right? Like So one of the things I like a lot with that same thing is that when Chopper meets R2... R2 is angrier and actually able to fight Chopper and, like, go toe-to-toe and kind of win, right? So I, I, I do like that as well, where it's just like, yeah, no, Chopper is is kind of grumpy, but he's not top of the line, right? R2-D2. He D2. will never be R2. Exactly. R2 would wipe the floor with him, and I think that that's an important part Literally of the Literally with that grease trap he has. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah <laughs> light him on fire. But I don't think R2 and BT-1 going against each other would be in, in the same way. No, R2's too nice for that. I'd protect him in a heartbeat. Mm. You're not fighting him, no. With all that droid discussion (laughs) said, are you guys ready to round out the podcast? I think so. We'll talk about R2 another time. It's okay. (laughs) All right, here we go. We're going to have a droids episode.
I mean, yeah, clearly got a droid crush. <laughs> Welcome to the outro of the podcast. This is Temple Archives, episode two, Bad Boys. And uh, if you want to find me, my name is Dan. You can find me on Twitter at Daniel J. Venard, spelled V-E-N-N-A-R-D. Noma, do you have anything yet for social media? Uh, nope, not yet. Best way to uh, see anything that I'm talking about is going to be at our Twitter, so that's at Voice Force Pod. You can also uh, find us on Facebook at Voice Force Pod as well. Uh, we did make our Facebook mm-hmm. page, so if you want to contact us through Facebook because you don't have Twitter or vice versa, you are more than welcome to do that. If you have questions specifically for Ed, Noma, or myself, ask away. Mm-hmm. And uh, remember, guys, that uh, reviewing helps with the visibility of our episodes. Um, and we want to hear from you guys. You know, we, we've tried something a little bit different with this episode of Temple Archives. You know, we're throwing in banter during the synopses when it, when we think it'll help. Um, if you guys like that style, you know, a little bit less cut and dry, uh, a little bit more kind of open room, then let us know. If you kind of like the old style better, let us know because we're making this podcast for you guys. So whichever one you like, whatever kind of style you guys like best, that's what we'll go with. Yeah, we don't we don't mind either way. It doesn't take any more effort or less effort for either either one. Um, we I'm liking more the natural conversation, but yeah, let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, hell, just you know, send a review. Say, I don't want to listen to Star Wars. I want to listen to Warhammer 40k. The other two might not agree, but I'd be all for it. <laughs> you know what'll happen. We'll have the the new <laughs> third um, series in the ah. Voice of the Forest podcast network, and it's going to be Warhammer 40k. Yeah, three and a half hours of me just talking at a wall. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and um, like Noma said, please review us. Um, listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, literally any type of podcatcher that you listen to podcasts in, we are most likely on. If we aren't, uh, then let me know and let us know and we can add that to the podcatcher of your choice. We are on Spotify as well. I forgot to add that in there. Spotify podcasts. We are on. Just type in Voice of the Force. We'll pop right up there. And uh, without further ado, Ed, is there anything else you want to plug? We are still working on that Twitch page, but I promise you it's coming. You will see us in our relaxed state, more relaxed than we are now, if anything. Just enjoying some Star Wars games. You say that now. <laughs> you know what? Oh, I do want to point out angry feelings in that. <laughs> now that you bring that up, I do want to point out uh, we will be doing uh, a really fun um, review of Star Wars: Secrets of the Empire VR game in the Void. Uh, there's a Toronto um, VR kind of cafe restaurant, and they have a special section for this video game where. You kind of go in as a VR squad, so it'd be Ed, myself, and Noma, and uh, we go into the uh, Vader's castle as three stormtroopers with K2SO. So we're going to be doing that uh, hopefully soon, and we'll talk about that on the next, hopefully the next podcast or the one after that, and let you guys know what happens in the story and uh, if you guys should do it or not. Mm 
Yeah, as soon as we can all can converge on Toronto. Exactly. Um, and that's it. Enjoy the mm-hmm. rest of your night, guys. I just wanted to thank Noma and thank Ed for being such awesome co-hosts this episode and getting some amazing uh, books out of the way. We got Tarkin Dunn and Volume 1 of Darth Vader. Any any final thoughts, guys? Nope. I'm good. All right. With that said, may the Force be with you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's good. Um, so do we have a name for this episode? I'm. I've been thinking about. It. I don't know. Um... <laughs> Desolation Station. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, I'm. Not, I'm good with that. Honestly. Now I got to figure out how I'm going to make a picture of that. Yeah, we could say. What's like a Arbingers good? Harbingers of the Empire. Oh, I got one. Go mm-hmm. for it. We never made the joke, but we could. Bad boys. Ha! <laughs> I like Done. that. That is amazing. We Dark never made the joke, boys. That would have been good. No, I like I like that just, one a lot. Just bad boys works, man. That yeah. is amazing. If anyone can make a really quick Photoshop, or even just hell, just oh, paint. Oh, the, the, I, I can do it. I'll yeah. get the photo Poster of like Will Smith and, and whatnot, and I'll just put <laughs> Vader and Tarkin's face above them. Beautiful, thanks, I'll, man. I'll I'll try my best. <laughs>